Hello and welcome to the edition of Open All Eyes, a QPR podcast. And this week, we're joined by two QPR fans. One is Simon Hall, who's just finished work. How are you, Simon? You all right? Yeah, good. How are you? All right? All good? I'm not bad. Still got the puppy, still getting chewed this shade and still getting... So if you will hear, during the course of this podcast, a dog with various toys and probably biting me at something. And we have Richard Dobson, of course, who is QPR's assistant manager and lifelong QPR fan, even if the rest of his family are Brentford. You chose well. Yeah, good evening, gents. Yeah, well, now I know Simon's going to ask you a few questions, so I'm just going to jump in with one simple question. How has the international break been for you guys? Did you think you needed it? Has it come at a good time? Um, I don't think breaks ever come at a good time when you've got a little bit of momentum behind you. Um, so it would have been nice just to, to carry that on. The, the nice thing is that we've had a couple of weeks with a off the back of a win. So um, there's a feel-good factor around the place at the minute. And I think if it had been a defeat, then it would have been a horrible two weeks. But um, obviously super proud of the boys that have gone away and represented their nations and, and done so well. So um, uh, looking forward to them coming back into the training ground, sharing their stories and uh, and being able to tell them well done. Well, two things I want to make that sort of time before we go into the question. Firstly, a lot of QPR fans are going to be asking the question about Lyndon and how come he was not playing for us and in the Scotland squad. Was it just a week too early for us? or that, That's exactly it. He was very, very close for Middlesbrough. Um, if we'd have got him out for it, would we have pushed him a little bit too hard, possibly? Um, we decided it was in his best interest and our best interest to uh, to allow him to go to, to Scotland. Um, we've liaised, our medical department have liaised closely with them. So his, his minutes have been managed, um, his training has been managed uh, to make sure that the loading's been right based on what we've been doing with him. And uh, I think it worked well for everybody because he's got a couple of weeks training under his belt now and uh, he comes back um, in, reinvigorated for uh, for our league campaign um, and off the back of a game against England, which I'm sure he was looking forward to. Uh, I, I watched that. It was, it was noisy. Um, very noisy, actually. <laughs> yeah, very noisy. Um, I, I watched some international football. I, I don't want to talk about it being Northern Irish, but um, I will mention, I won't mention the games because they never happened, but we Smithy came on twice. Absolutely amazed he didn't start the, first, the second game, absolutely played so well. But just to report back, we were rubbish, but he was great. So that's a positive. And as for Sinclair Armstrong, I don't know what you've done to that lad, but he is going to be huge. His, his media style, everything about him, is he must be a joy to work with, Richard. He's come on a bundle, hasn't he? Uh, yeah. Super proud of and, and what he's done um, on his international break. Um, obviously, getting selected for the seniors and um, making an appearance is, is brilliant for him. And then he goes and gets his first goal. Um, rip shirt trailing behind him, puts in from about a, a centimetre, but they all, they all count. And uh, like you, I saw the interview afterwards and I thought it was a really mature interview. And I think that's the measure of him. Um, he's matured a lot over the course of um, the last six months, certainly since I've been at the club. And uh, I think you see that in his performances. I think you see that in um, when we go back to the Cardiff game and his composure to lay that onto Ken, where I think probably six months ago he had been a little bit more rash uh, as it is. He, he sets Ken up with a nice pass and we end up getting a second goal there. So I think we're seeing a lot of improvement in him and he's somebody that, that really does want to improve and has got a, a really good work ethic, but super humble at the same time. 
I'll tell you one thing, I hope to God he doesn't change because I love, you know, we, we did a podcast with him last week and I was saying to him, like, I just love non-cardboard type footballers. In the same way that I like the fact that Gareth Ainsworth is a wee bit, you know, he wants to do rock and roll, a wee bit different. It's kind of good. But I do like the fact that he's just kind of like, I'm living the dream, lads. You know, I want to do well for QPR. I want to do well for Ireland. Um, and it's just nice. It's just nice to see that because they're so coaxed, some of these kids from all sorts of the big, bigger clubs, that, you know, they're scared to say anything. It's just nice to get someone in front of the camera who's who's relaxed. Right. So you've done a good job of him. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Look, there's a lot of people that have to take the credit for that. Um, going back well before my time at the club. Um, but as I say, you, you as a coach, you you want to work with people like Sinclair Armstrong because you know that uh, he's a lad that wants to help himself. And I've always said to the coaching staff that I've worked with, you can only help those that want to help themselves. And um, and he's one of them characters. So uh, we'll we'll do as much as we possibly can to help develop him as a as a person and as a player. Um, and as long as he keeps knocking on our door and asking questions and wants to stay out on the training ground, we'll be there for him. Excellent, Simon. Oh, hi there, Richard. Yeah, um, I think on a similar sort of way, I think I'm starting to leave games now. And I think this has been mentioned a lot more on the podcast recently, that even though we've lost, we can see real progress in how we're playing. And actually, we're going away from games now actually enjoying it. Whereas if I'm being honest, last season, quite a bit of it was a, was a bit of a chore, if, I, if I'm being honest. Um, but I want to take you back to the um, after the Watford game. And I know mention has been made of and um, things which might have gone on after that and discussions. Um, we've obviously noticed a major change of style and also an upturn of performances. So I'm wondering if you could tell us after that Watford game, how do we go about getting that sort of change of style? Yeah, do you know, we'd probably go back a little bit further. Um, so I'll tell you what, let's go back right to the end of last season um, and it'll probably explain the process because it's never never black and white. There's there's lots of nuances in there and uh, and lots of variables. So we get to the end of last season. If we talk about probably the um, the ideal transfer window being that, that a club comes to the end of the season, they've had a, a good season. Um, they they lose the ones that are on the periphery. They release those players. They've got funds to go out and and strike early uh, and and go for the players that they've identified that are going to impact their first eleven. And they do that early and get them through the door. So that when they hit pre-season, 95% of their squad is intact and uh, they can prepare for that season knowing that their squad's there already. If you say that that's the perfect summer transfer window and then you say the worst case scenario is that you you get to that period, you need to change things at the club, there's no money to do it um, and the only way you can do it is to sell players to hopefully bring in funds. But we're probably closer to that end of the scale than the former. So... How does that change the way that we approach the summer? Well, we had enough money to, to bring in a couple. Um, and obviously, Smithy come in quite early. Uh, but then it becomes a waiting game. So you're going into pre-season knowing that things are going to change. Um, and you're not sure that, that that group that you're taking away to Austria, for example, is going to be the same group come the start of the season. So it's actually quite difficult to go, this is the way that we're going to play. Because if you base that on the players that you've got and all of a sudden three of them disappear a week before the season you're in a whole world of trouble. So um, we had to go through pre-season and it was fact-finding more than anything. You know you're going to be reliant on young players. You've got to expose them. So you play Hamzad Kargba, for, um, for example, against Slavia Prague. And you have to play a little bit more direct because his profile is like that to see if he can do the job. Now, if he can do the job, 
that saves you a little bit of money or it or means that the money that comes into the building can be spent in other areas that need need the work. So I'm using Hamza as an example, but there are other players in there as well. So it becomes very much fact-finding early on and you're playing different styles, different shapes um, to try and understand what you've got and, and who might be useful and who might not make, make the great. Um, we then get through to the Wimbledon game. Um, still not sure who's leaving. Obviously, at that stage, I think Senny... Senny had gone, so we we managed to get a little bit of funding in to to bring in a couple of players, and obviously we had we had them players on the list, and we knew the character types that we wanted. So you look at the first half against Wimbledon, and you go brilliant from from my perspective and the way that I'd love to see the game played. That was everything that I wanted to see in the team. So you're then going, okay, this is the framework, this is the way that we'd like to co- move forward, and then the Oxford game happens, and out of nowhere you start second-guessing yourselves because the group that had done so well in the first half against Wimbledon suddenly put in a performance that you, you didn't see coming. And you're, you're then in a position where you're going, we cannot put that team out again the following week because if the same thing happens and if you've got too many mavericks um, and not enough steel and strength in the side, then um, if a side applies pressure in the way that Oxford did second half, then we could crumble. Bearing in mind, we've got two young centre-halves that haven't played a league game at that stage playing, so we have to take that into account. Um, so then we're, we're talking about the, Oxford, uh, the the Watford game, and we're now talking about, do we put more strength in, in the side? So maybe we lose a little bit of our flair, we lose our ability on the ball, but we're going there to be a little bit more solid. Um, you've got Jack Colback, who's, who's come into the building, but not fit to play. So we know that when Jack's fit, we're going to be better. We got Morgan Fox in the building that shouldn't really have played given the preseason that he had, but it's the measure of him that he put himself out there and, and wanted to be part of it to help us out. Um, this is where there was a big decision um, because we could have gone and got another centre half in um, to prepare for that game, and it might have been a younger loanee from a Premier League club, uh, something along those lines. But we just got wind of the fact that that Puki um, was someone we'd we'd identified would, would be um, a, a good asset for our club, been there, seen it, done it, a leader. Um, and we just got wind of the fact that he might be able to come out of, of Nottingham Forest. So we had a decision. Do we spend that money on a young one, but it's not really the one that we want to get us through the Watford game? Or do we make a decision that's better for the long-term um, future at this club and bring in the right person that's going to help nurture the younger players that we've got? And we sit tight for the Watford game and... You, you never want to lose a game, but you you understand that you might have to swallow a result to to get the person in that's going to give you success further down the line. And that's the decision we made. Um, fortunately, over that weekend, um, things were sorted out with Forrest. Um, Cookie was available and was keen to come. Um, and then all of a sudden, you're starting to get the squad that you want together for the games that follow that. Um, I think that someone said said that there was some sort of inquest and the players um, rebelled or whatever. After that, never happens. I mean, that's not the way that things are done at our football club now. We're very open with the players. We talk to them a lot. They we give them a voice. We listen to them, um, and vice versa. We'll always explain what we do and why we do. So you know, there were conversations afterwards. I think Gareth looked um, introspectively in terms of what he he did for the game and, and decided to make a change. Um, and then with the players that we had in the building and Cookie obviously coming to fitness and, and um, Jack Colback likewise, Fox with another week under his belt, you've got players that can play a, a purer style of football and be more comfortable um, with it. 
Um, and then it's just how you utilise the likes of Ilya's chair and how you get the best out of Paul Smith. And I think you're you're seeing the relationships building, Aussie and Paul Smith, for example, uh, Ken Powell and uh, Ilias, uh, the two midfielders, Fieldy and Jack Colback, um, obviously getting so much more out of Doz um, now. So you're seeing them relationships building and, and w- w- week after week, I think we're going to grow um, as long as we can keep everybody fit and, and just keep rolling as we are. I think one thing I'd like to follow up on that, and one of the things we've noticed about Andre Dezel in particular is, obviously I was at Middlesbrough for that for that goal, and I'm not going to lie, it came completely out of the blue for, for him to be the scorer. And it was one of those where I thought it was going wide, and then it was like, oh, hold on, this is going in here. <laughs> and then obviously there was total pandemonium. What, what have you done with him over the last sort of few weeks to try and get his confidence up and to actually show the sort of player that we thought we might have been getting a Ipswich in 2021. Do you know, um, it's down to him first and foremost. So the boys got to the end of last season. They're at a pivotal place in their career. Um, It's fight or flight. You either roll your sleeves up and go, we're never letting that happen again, or you run away from it. And um, Doz, to be fair to him, he was shell-shocked last season from, from the experiences, as most of them were. Um, but he rolled his sleeves up over the summer, come back in good shape and um, has got his head down. Uh, he's worked hard. Now, off the back of that, um, yeah, we're giving each of the players uh, an individual development plan. So myself, Paul Hall and, and Josh Hart have sat down with, um, with a lot of the players. We've still got some to go through, but Doz was one of them. And we've spoken about what his strengths are, how he can um, imprint his personality on, on the game a little bit more. Um, we, we're working on the, the individual weaknesses of, of the boys. So just investing time and, and, and energy into them and, and letting them know that they're valued, I think has, has given some of them a little bit more confidence. And I'd say the same for Oz Kaiko, who's someone that, you know, I think he's probably felt like he's been on trial every season at QPR because he's always been seen as like a backup or a second choice. And we just kind of put our faith in him and said, look, we, we believe in you. Um, you've got the ideal scenario here now, boys, because we can't go out and spend loads of money to bring in replacements. So we're going to work with you. We're going to develop you. And um, you're going to have the ideal scenario, the ideal opportunity to flourish in your careers. Um, and I think a lot, of the, a, really, a lot of them have really taken it on board. Do you know, there's um, a story going back in Austria that, that I, I, it was a moment I realised that the mentality had changed. Um, we'd done, it was roasting hot, by the way. It was really hot over there. And we'd done four runs at the end of training. And they were tough runs. We were going to do five. And we pulled the plug after four and said to the boys, you, you, you've done enough. Um, you know, this is a tough day. And um, so they wandered back to the stand where we were training. They're starting to change their boots and what have you. And um, four or five of them decided that they were going to do the fifth run. So they started this run around the pitch. And the boys in the stand saw the other five doing it. And all of a sudden, the stand just emptied and they all went out and they did this fifth run. Um, and it was that moment that you suddenly go, do you know what? We're, we're getting a camaraderie here and we're getting a work ethic that wasn't in place last season, that w- that wouldn't have happened last season. And it was a key moment for me because it might have only been a four minute run this. But the fact that they they didn't have to be asked to do it and the fact that they responded to their teammates doing it was, um, I think you're starting to see them in moments in games as well where they're looking after each other and running for each other a lot harder. And to go back to last season, um, think about it logically. Gareth, I mean, me and Stan have talked about this a lot in the podcast. And I think, I'm not going to speak for you, so I'm going to speak for yourself. 
But I don't remember a manager getting as much abuse um, so early in when he took over a club as Ainsworth got at the start of when he came back to QPR. And I did feel sorry for him because I don't think we realised, you, you obviously more privy to stuff that we were, that, that we, whether we were top eight, ten, or how many points clear relegation took over, the mindset wasn't good. We were heading for three, four. We were, we were, we were going down basically. And I don't think we, maybe as fans, we wanted to realise that. Maybe it was a lot closer than we like to think. But did he? Do you think he did get the credit he deserves because we didn't go down and he stopped it, or do you think people still think, well, we didn't win for so many games and they they, they blame you guys for stopping that? I still don't think it was your fault because it was a. It, it, I hate using the word car crash, but it wasn't a good. It was a. No. I can't think of many managers that would have come in after Critchley and tried to pull that score together because it must have been a mess, is what I'm saying, in a long-winded way. Mm, no, it, it was tough, uh, and I was pretty shocked with the um, the situation we came into. Um, you Obviously, when you step up a division, um, and you're hoping that things are better, and, and in many situations, they were worse than we'd come from. Um, I'll tell you a couple of interesting things. So, the, the last game of the season against Bristol City, um, I think you will probably be disappointed as fans and we were disappointed that we went out in the manner that we did. And we'd said all week to the the players, you know, we need to give the fans something at the end of this season because they've had a tough time. Um, and we get beat 2-0 at home. Uh, the analysts at the end of the game um, told us that it was actually QPR's second best attacking performance of the season based on the stats. So... What that tells you um, and what the analyst told me when, when I came into the club was that at the start of the season, we were winning games because of moments of brilliance with Chrissy Willock and, and people like that. And then obviously, because you dominate the ball, people go home thinking, fantastic performance. But in terms of creating chances um, uh, and uh, and what we did in the attacking areas of the pitch, um, we, were ha- we weren't having as many chances. And, and the analyst was saying, like, we, we've been flagging this up, that we're winning games here. Actually, the stats don't back up the fact that we're winning. But of course, everyone goes home when, when happy when, when you've won. And it probably paints a, a rosier picture than, than was actually happening. So maybe the club got ahead of itself based on, on where it was in the table. And um, uh, obviously, early early days in the top of the league and there's a feel-good factor. But were performances or, or, or what they were doing at the top end of the pitch necessarily um, championship winning or, or playoff? Uh, winning performances, um, not according to the stats, uh, so I'm told. So obviously when that comes crashing back down and people work you out and um, uh, we didn't have a, a resilience or a strength about us to see it through after that. And, um, you know, it's a very pure style of football. But once people work you out, you've got to have a bit of strength and steel um, and a plan B. And um, the squad wasn't necessarily shaped for for that plan B. I would take over and be attacked by a puppy. Yeah, so I'll leave you to it, Paul. Um, one of the things I wanted to also ask as well, which, I mean, I don't know anything about sports-related fitness, but one of the comments that Gareth made after the Ipswich game when he talked about the, um, when we were talking about the drop-off that we saw with Cardiff and Ipswich in the fitness levels, and Gareth said that that actually it was it was pre-planned. And... I must admit, from my perspective, that sort of raised a few eyebrows of, well, hold on a minute, why why have we not got them right up there at the start of the season? I'm just wondering if you can explain the rationale behind that. And also, to build on that, what's been done over the international break to try and ramp those um, fitness levels up further? 
Yeah. Um, so the rationale behind it is uh, with a small squad, um, you want more player avail- availability. So you want your best players on the pitch. And the thing about pre-season is that you're, you're pushing players out of their comfort zones on a regular basis to try and improve fit. Now, if you push a little bit too hard um, to accelerate that, that, that fitness growth, you can injure players, you can break them. Now, we had a decision. Do we have a, a, a squad that's 100% fit at the start of the season, but with several players injured because we pushed them too hard? Or do we just come off the gas a little bit and make sure we've got as much player availability as possible, that they might only be at 90% fitness. Um, and that was a, that was a, the decision made by the, the sports science team. And obviously Ben Williams has come in to, to help improve that. And looking back at last season, you know, we struggled because when you got, I think we had nine injuries when we walked in and then two more got injured shortly after that. So when you've got 11 players missing from your squad, it's always going to be tough to compete. Now, if we'd have got to the start of the season and we'd lost Dykesy and Sinclair, we'd really have been struggling for, for bodies in that area of the pitch. So the importance this season is is having players available and your best players available. And now the games are in, they're getting up to match match speed, they're getting up to match fitness. I think you've probably seen that with every game that's gone past. Um, and the numbers, obviously we see the GPS data and the numbers are, are backing that up. Um, we'd have obviously liked them to be uh, a little bit fitter uh, and to finish games a little bit stronger. Um, but there's a trade-off in what you do there. And, and that was the trade-off that, that we've taken now. As it happens, four out of five away games to start with. We've come in with a couple of wins off the back of that. A couple of other decent performances where we probably deserve more. So, you know, has it borne fruit? Maybe. Um, but as the season progresses and obviously the games come thick and fast, we've got three next week, for example, um, then their fitness levels are going to rise naturally just through playing games. Uh, in terms of what we've done with the international break, um, we've we've had uh, games within uh, in-house. Um, we've been able to pull a couple of the under-18s up and the development squad players up. And um, uh, whilst we've got a number of players who are on international duty, it opens doors to, to blood a few of the younger ones with the first team and, and develop them. Because for me, um, developing players is really important. And the more exposure they get around the first team group and training with us, the better it will um, leave them for when they, they're required and, and they're needed. So we've used that as a, a chance to develop some of the younger players and, and uh, get the fitness that we need in the players that we've got in the building. Um, whilst they're away, you're obviously, fingers crossed that everybody comes back from international duty fit and well. And um, from what I'm hearing at the moment, I don't think there are any issues. Um, so we'll find out tomorrow when they're back in the building and, um, and then we'll go from there. What's the sort of state with the... Um... Development going and, and actually, Sam, you had a question about that, didn't you? About the the youngsters. I was going to, yeah, just following up when you were mentioning about the development squad, and one of the things that I've personally enjoyed this season is that there have been more opportunities for a lot of the development players to come in because I think we've said for the last eight years we're a development club. We want to give young people a go, and I think there's been a few occasions where there's been precious little evidence of that. The first solution we then do is find a loan or something like that. And we don't actually give some of our youngsters a try. To, so to see the likes of Collie, Duke McKenna, and people like Bala, Aroha on the bench is really, is really, really good to see. Um, I'm just wondering as well, from what you've seen, is there anyone else from the under-18s who you're potentially looking at has got something about them who could be coming in to work with the first team? 
Uh, yes, there is. Uh, I'm not going to pile pressure on by naming names. Yeah, and, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it'd be unfair on the kids. Yeah. I, I come from a, a development background. Um, so uh, people don't know, so I've never spoken about this, but um, a few years ago, the FA ro ro um, rolled out a new youth coaching course. Um, and it was like the elite co youth coaches course. And um, they invited, I think, 25, 30 coaches that they saw were the, the most influential development coaches in the country to come in to St. George's Park on a couple of days and uh, critique the, the course that they're about to roll out. And then um, we were given that um, that award because of our previous service to youth development. Um, myself and Chris Ramsey were sat next to each other. So so two of the people that the FA saw as um, influential developers of, of players and, and now at the same club at, at QPR. So it's, it's a a subject that's very close to my heart and I, I love to see young players developed. Um, yeah, at Wickham, we had Jordan Ibe in the first team at 15, Kadeem Harris at 16, uh, Courtney House at 17 and a number of other teenagers um, that made their debut at Scone and Ingram that, that QPR fans will know. So um, we've never been adverse to, to throwing a youngster in um, if they show potential. Obviously, um, needs must and, and we're in a situation where we have to rely on young players at the moment. Um, for me, even if we, we had uh, money, you'd still want local young players in the team. I think it's something that all the fans want to see. Um, I think it brings a greater affinity to the club when someone's come through the youth system. It means more to that player that it's it's their club that they're representing. So I think there's so many um, benefits from producing your own and, and bringing them into the first team. And it's something that I would have pushed for anyway. Um, I think the links between the first team and uh, the academy have never have not always been as close as they should be. Um, obviously, I've, I've heard stories coming into the building and there's been a disconnect there. Um, and I've got to say, some of the stories uh, take away my coaching head for a moment. As a fan, some of the stories I'm, I'm not happy with. Um, you know, I think it was a, a tough environment for a young player to break into uh, in terms of the way that they were dealt with um, by some of the senior players. And, and staff, senior first-team staff, were complicit in, in shaping that environment. So I think now they realise that they've got people that want them to come through, that um, we've opened the door. They've looked at Ryan Colley coming in and some of the others getting their break. And um, they're, they're suddenly going, actually, there is light at the end of the tunnel here. Um, and of course, uh, uh, Alex Carroll and Furs and, and Chris Ramsey are suddenly going, this is everything that we've asked for for a long time. And we'll back you all we can because um, this is what we need, uh, you know, a connection and a, um, a club that's, that's streamlined from from top to bottom. So, um, yeah, I, I watch the development squad and, and Gaz does as much as we possibly can. I, I'll go and take in under-18s training at times. Um, it's something that I, that I want as long as I'm around the club and, and I work hard to, to foster them relationships and to bring them young players through. It's an interesting one because, like, the worst thing about youth players is, and Simon, I don't know if you noticed this as well, like, Everyone's looking for that striker, aren't they? It's it's never about the the right back, the the left side <laughs> midfielder, or you know central midfielder, centre defender. Or the, it's it's just like where's it? Where's the goals coming from? Where's the striker coming from? And I think this is what we've been missing, and it's not down to anything other than we just haven't filled the gap that was left with Charlie Austin the first time. Really, I mean, um, I think Hugo got thirteen goals, Simon, didn't they? Did Hugo get thirteen? Got fifteen. 15, sorry. But then again, he was, then again, he had him right to sign Samuel and Ezo supplying him. So, 
<laughs> to be fair, if he isn't getting 15 goals with that as a supply level, you don't know what. Yeah. Well, that was that's the highest for a while, though, wasn't it? And I think yeah. the pressure is that we, geez, we talked about this before, which we last time on the podcast. Everyone needs a striker, everyone desperate for a striker. So, is youth team football the same sort of thing that everyone's looking for that striker to come through? Whereas we're now giving people chances that, but because they're not that glamour striker, no one's taking that much notice of, sadly. <laughs> um, I don't know about that. I mean, just to go back to the previous point, probably part of the reason that we're in the situation we are financially is because we kept putting band aids over um, problems. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's short term thinking, uh, and I know because people's jobs are uh, maybe under pressure or whatever, so they they make a short term decision and spend money um, rather than a, a long term development decision, um, and and might have to swallow a couple of results because of the nature of football. It doesn't. It, it doesn't help with with youth development um, because there's so much pressure on short term results. Now, as a fan of the club, I want to see the club flourish over a long period of time. So my thoughts are around what we can do that's going to develop the club long term. Um, and obviously, I want to be at the club for as long as I possibly can. But um, I have to look with that longer term vision uh, in order to develop the players that we need. Uh, and as I said to you earlier, you know, the Watford decision was a. a, a a decision made with a longer term um, viewpoint rather than a short term fix for that particular game. So I think that's really important. Um, to go back to your um, your point, yeah, it's fantastic to to bring a striker through. You know, they're the ones that that cost all the money. Um, but I tell you now, we've got we've got good goalkeepers sat underneath uh, the first team group. We've got uh, good midfielders. We've got good centre halves. There's players there that. You know, I hope will come through, and and I'll be disappointed if they don't, because of the people that are around the club. And um, there's some good practice going on, some really good practice behind the scenes that I've been really encouraged by. Um, and it, as I say, it just needed pulling together. Um, and now those boys have seen that there is light at the end of the tunnel. They've properly got the bit between their teeth, so they're all clamouring to be involved with around the first team. When they train with us, they train like absolute Trojans and. Uh, it's a nice environment to, to be around at the moment. Um, the, the players are pushing each other. Well, I actually quite like the fact we have got Cooley and we have got things like they are young and they are. But I like the fact that the first thing Cooley does when he comes on is try to outjump a 35-year-old centre-half. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and doesn't show fear. And that speaks volumes, whether it's him coming in or, you know, he's got Duke coming in with a bit more... He looks more confident, doesn't he, Sam? And even when he came on a few years ago with it, Everton, he came on and the, the, the penalty... Yeah I'd, agree. yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, obviously, I think he was... I didn't mention about Southampton. I think, honestly, he struggled a little, but it's difficult to come on with 15 minutes to go and try yeah. and get into, the, get into the sort of thing of the game. But... Yeah, certainly when he came on against Barrow, I thought he did a he did a good job. And actually having a little bit of energy when it comes to that last 20, 25 minutes, when we were seeing people flagging, that was something that I think we we lacked or we perhaps weren't willing to use. So yeah, from that perspective, seeing those seeing those players come in, and that means you've got people like Kakai as well. So you've actually got a fair few people who've come through the system now, which for all the criticism that the the academy's have, you're at least beginning to see a little bit of it bearing fruit now, I think. Mm. It means a lot because Rangers is in their blood. You know, when it's been your club that you've come through the system in, uh, it means more. Um, it's not just another badge on your, on your journey. So um, I think that's really important. Uh, you mentioned about um, 
Stevie Duke McKenna and and the, when he came on at Southampton, they're going to have these moments, these kids, and we we must be mindful and remember that um, they're going to make mistakes. Um, you know, the club's going through a little bit of pain in terms of uh, the financial side of things at this moment in time. Uh, and whilst we don't like it, we have to understand it. And um, uh, at times we're going to have a little bit more pain where, you know, a youngster might come into the first team and make a mistake and we've got to stick with them, you know. It's really important from our perspective as, as coaches that we, um, part of their development is picking them up when they fall um, and helping them get back up again. And uh, I think the Rangers fans are really important in that as well um, because if they get behind these young players, these, these young lads will run their backsides off for them. Um, you know, I see this period, um, I, I guess a lot of people will look at it as a, a tough period for the club, but I see it as a, a period of, of growth and opportunity. Um, I think when you go through times like this, it's a great opportunity for introspective reflection. And um, I think what it's done is it's, it's forced the owners to look quite deep inside what was going on at the club. And um, it's a chance to, to change processes. So whilst we can't necessarily change things financially we can change the processes and you can have world-class standards in terms of the way that you you conduct yourself around the training ground in terms of the way that you you uh you train or, or your attitude towards training those things don't require money uh, and as an example um obviously recruitment and and what's happened previously within recruitment has been looked into um the owners now uh, ask gareth and the recruitment team for a, a document for with all the pros and cons uh, if we want to sign a player, um, their injury history, their background, um, and guys in the recruitment team have to present that to the the owners. So the owners are having a say in, in terms of who comes in as well. So it's for the good of the club rather than just one person bringing in the people that he wants to bring because he knew them previously or because he knows the agent or whatever. Um, so there's more robust uh, practices happening behind the scenes now. And as I say to you, I think it's a, it's a great period for, uh, a, a great opportunity for a period of growth um, that if we come through this period to a point where we do have um, greater finances because the, the FFP shackles are, are, are being cast off us, um, we'll have robust practices behind us to help us make sure that we're never in this position again. And actually we're far better because of the way that we conduct ourselves and because of the way that we do things behind the scenes. Linking into that, do you? I was thinking about this. Do you actually feel more comfortable in being in that sort of position, as opposed to maybe having a little, maybe having a fair bit of money to spend? Is it is it something that eventually you would do, or is it something that you identify? Yes, needs must, but for you, that the culture has come first before we start trying to spend money on players. The culture is the most important thing, without a doubt. Yeah, uh, I'd much rather develop our own and the people that we've got. Than spend money. I think it's a it's a a poor way of of doing things when you're constantly spending money to bring in players. Um, and what you tend to find is that when there's a conveyor belt about of players, you lose identity. Um, I think having the likes of Oz and Ilias and people who've been at the club for a long time, they you, you get an identity around the club that, that the fans can connect to. Um, and I, I look at some of the clubs and we, we go into training grounds at other places and. There's um, a team photo from two years ago and pretty much all the team have changed. And you just yeah. think, how can you ever connect to a, a club that has so much change? For me, and, and we did this at Wickham, we rewarded people um, that were culture creators. And we kept them within the club for a long time, not just because of what they did on the pitch, but what they did uh, as importantly off it. 
Um, and we said to the boys, we've, we've set up a leadership group now, um, and it won't surprise you, the, the, the people that are in it, but we've set the leadership group up and said to them, listen, you are absolutely pivotal in terms of the future of this football club and the standards that are set and the, you know, we've, we want them to mentor the younger players. We've got a couple of players that have got designated roles, and one of which is Oz, which I think is really important. Oz's role is uh, he's got a designated role to to help with any development players that come up and, and train with us because he's he's lived that life. He's come through that and he understands what it takes. Um, he's an excellent professional. So why wouldn't we use those experiences to help others um, and help with their pathways into the first team? So hopefully now we've got a, a structure of support, um, a structure where we can utilise the experiences of those players that have, have lived good careers and, and can pass that on to the younger players. And um, you know, I think it's a, a very different environment um, to the one that we came into last year. Just quickly, I'll, I'll tell you, I won't name him, but one of the, the players was walking down the corridor the other morning, big smile on his face. And uh, I said to him, what are you smiling for? And I love this lad, by the way, he's a great lad. So. Uh, I said, what are you smiling for? And he went, it's brilliant, isn't it? And I went, what? He went, this place. He went, I've just been in the dressing room. Everyone's smiling. Everyone's getting on. It hasn't been like that since I've been at the club. He went, this is brilliant. And then just skipped off down the hallway. And you go, that's a really big moment, actually, because you, you hope that the boys are sensing the change. You hope that they're buying into everything you're doing. And actually, when someone tells you that, you go, do you know what? it is it's happening you know I'm, I'm seeing it and i'm feeling it so long may that continue and, and let's make it better and better with each passing week and month yeah see what you're saying simon it was amit and lee hughes doing that what was that sorry i'm trying to make a joke of my wife's trying to get the, the puppy to go away from me it was basically the guy skipping down was lee hughes or amit batting <laughs> it was a joke but it wasn't a very good one and it doesn't work with dogs trying to bite you so yes now do you know what it's, it's interesting because it's so important. We know, listen, we're all Rangers fans. We, we know the crack. Like, we were always that club that brought, you know, we wouldn't have had Clive Allen, Paul Goddard, Alan McDonald, you know. God, you could go on and on and on. These players that came in, Bradley Allen, who, you know, came into the first team. We are that sort of club. And sometimes I felt, it might have been me reading it from the outside, we're a little bit too negative in that. You know, we're looking at the other clubs, the Arsenal, the Man U's, the Chelsea's, and now the Brentford and Fulham's. And they've got all these top-notch systems. They've got these kids coming in. Whereas we could be different. We we could apply the difference of saying, maybe what you did at Wickham as well, but being partnered. Like, listen, you're just a number of these places. You're valued here. Mm. And parents see that. And then all of a sudden, everyone wants to be back at QPR because they, they could be the next Alan McDonald. They could be the next, like, Bradley Allen whatever they could come in and there's a future there and i i hear what you're saying that maybe there was a bit of a shut door and that's maybe no one's fault because the gap between this the youth and the first team and the the fact that let's face it you know more about this man i do richard no one's allowed to become a footballer you are a footballer now you have to be a footballer you put mm. that shirt and you have to be like flipping socrates otherwise you're finished and i feel that's sad because People forget that, you know, Gary Lineker, everyone, you learn the game. You don't you don't become that player, you know. And I think the modern world's made it so hard for you guys to develop players. Sorry, and often the tangent, but I just feel the pressure on young, young players is immense. Yeah, 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 I, I agree. Um, yeah, I, do you know, I, the problem I have with football is that we're, we're so busy looking at what we haven't got and looking at what other clubs have got. We don't actually check ourselves and look at, 
what a fantastic club we have actually got. You know, 99% of the clubs across the world would swap places with QPR now. You know, we're, we're in one of the best cities in the world. We've got a, a really passionate support and fan base. Um, we've got a history of players that have come through as local players, some of which have gone on to play international football. Uh, and actually, there are far worse. You know, we, we watched Berry go under a few years ago and um, their fans were probably, before that happened, bemoaning the fact that they were stuck in League One and they wanted to get to the Championship and look at these Premier League clubs. And then when the club disappears, all they actually want is a lower league club that they can go and watch and they would have been quite happy to to have the club that they they had. So, um, you know, yeah. I don't like the fact that we're always looking at what's ahead. You have to strive for it, absolutely. We want to be better and better. But let's just take into account that we've got a, a bloody good club here um, and we should be very proud of, of what we've got. We've got another season in the Championship. Um, let's give that a right good shot and see where that takes us. Um, and we'll try and build, but we'll build off a um, a sound base. You know, you, you look at Reading, you look at what happened to Bolton a couple of years ago, and um, it can quickly go wrong. Clubs take years to build and, and five minutes to destroy if the wrong people are, are in charge or in the building. So, you know, let's make sure we build off a sound footing um, uh, and make sure that we've got a really solid club for years to come. And it may take a, a little bit of time for that to happen. But but when it does happen, we'll be on um, a, a really good sound footing um, for for any success that comes in the future. Well, with that in mind, before I go to Simon for a question, there's one question I have to ask you. Go on. And it's a painful one, Richard. And I don't want to put pressure on you. I really don't. But can we win a freaking cup match? You know, just, <laughs> I mean, you know, just, it, 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 it may mean not much to many people. You know, we yeah. did. We were even crap in the flipping Seymour Cup. Do you know what I mean? We, we, we're just crap. Can we just win a cup match? But I'll, you know, I'll be quite happy with that. You and me both, yeah. I mean, as it happened, the Norwich game, we decided to, to blood a few. Um, obviously, the fact that they score one second before penalties um, skewers things a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's a painful way to lose, but I actually thought it was... Um, a nice introduction for, for some of the younger players, you know, obviously a slightly smaller crowd, but a crowd that got right behind them. Um, yeah. And the likes of Alex Aurora come on and obviously Ryan exposed to first team football and for some of those boys to get through 90 minutes that maybe haven't played 90 minutes for the club. Uh, I think it was really important. Um, so as disappointed as we were with the result, I think we've got to look at the bigger picture and say that um, actually it could have gone horribly wrong. If they got beat 5-0, we'd have all been saying like what horrendous decision that was. Um, but actually, um, it was a really good game of football, I thought. Um, and uh, I, I came away excited about what some of them young players could bring to the club um, in the future. They want to win a cup match. We'll try. FA Cup coming. We'll, we'll try that one. Yeah, it'd be nice to knock someone good out as well, like Brentford or Fulham or Chelsea. Or... I'm refused to say Luton because I'm refused the fact that even I'm looking up at them these days. But yes, I think that's the trouble with us as well. Like we're just kind of like, I don't know. It's we, we it's it's it must be difficult for you guys because it is for us as a fan base. Because I feel we're we're caught in it's not perjury, but we're kind of we're trying to refine define ourselves, find ourselves, go forward at the same time, not go under. There's no money. We're relying on a lot of kids and a lot of old pros. But out of that, there's some lovely fellows that come into the club, some lovely people who we might not have had before who 
hopefully can bring other people in and keep that spirit. Because one thing we, we have been missing is spirit. I don't know what you think, Simon, but I'd love to see a good... I mean, I, I was saying this a couple of years ago, when people were having faith in the pitch, and this thing is terrible, I'm not saying get send everyone out to, to knock people over and physical violence and things like that, but they weren't backing each other up. Do you know what I mean? Someone would get pushed around and they were kind of like... But now you can. I want to see the players standing up for each other, like taking it on the chin for each other. And and I think someone like Cook is just so. And and Jack, I mean, he's he's turned into a bit of a northeast Socrates. I tell you, the way he's striking shots, I tell you that midfield position. But it's just nice to see we've got a wee. We're not soft belly anymore, are we, Sam? There's a bit of steel there. No, I think that's absolutely right, and I think that's a lot of the reason why when we leave games now, the vast majority of people even. I mean, you take the 2-1 defeat at Southampton. Yes, it's disappointing we lost, but I think everyone who I spoke to and pretty much all, all around were very, very positive with how we played because they could actually see, we can actually see a plan, we can see what we're doing. And and since then, I think it was the Ipswich game as well, even with, even with the fact we fell away slightly in the last 20, 25 minutes, everyone could see we scored those chances in the first half. And I think that's and I think that's what's encouraging us at the moment is that even before the Middlesbrough game, even though we weren't getting the results, we can we can see the performances, and and that was what was so good about Middlesbrough was I think Gareth said it in the interview that was the culmination, and you could see that coming, and it was a really good away performance. Now the one thing I ask, I think I think we're very very well set up to play away from home, particularly with Smith and Armstrong and all that pace. Um, do you see any different challenges for when we play at home? Because obviously our home record at the moment isn't obviously what anyone wants us to be. It's about one in 16 games. And where do you see the different challenges with um, playing at home compared to away from home? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, look, I, I thought the, the performance against Ipswich was encouraging. Um, it's a game that um, I think we, should, we deserved at least a draw in and, and, had, and did enough to... To win, I, I'm obviously very conscious of the the situation at Loftus Road, and we know that there are bridges to be built with our, our home fans, and uh, you know I hope that they um, they see the work that's going into that. Um, they've been excellent so far. I've got to say the fans have been terrific. I mean, at Southampton, three thousand, the the wall of noise coming from my right was just fantastic, and then to get up to Middlesbrough when the trains were down and and the difficulties that they've got getting up there is just unbelievable so look, I love Loftus Road when we win the place is absolutely rocking I want to I want it rocking this weekend and, and again midweek next week um, uh, from, from an attacking perspective yep yeah, we, we can sit and, and hit people on the counter attack away from home and you know Middlesbrough had a lot of possession but it's what you do with it that really counts um, the, the onus at home is to, to have a little bit more of the ball um, and we can push them players on the attacking players on a little bit more. You know, you probably see Smithy play a little bit higher, probably see Elias play a little bit higher. Um, but we've got something that we think works at the moment and, you know, we're not going to change it too much. Um, you know, we're happy with the direction that we're, we're heading in. Um, and I don't think we need to be too clever with it at this moment in time. As I said, it's about building them relationships and, um I think as as the season goes and as it progresses, people will understand their games a little bit more. Um, I'd love for you to bit to meet Asmir, Cookie, Foxy, Jack. Um, they're exactly the type of characters that we need uh, for this football club. They're they're winners. They're they're super humble. They've they've achieved plenty in the game, but have come to to QPR not because of the money. They've had opportunities to to stay in the Premier League or to move to other Premier League clubs. 
and have turned that and the money down to come and, and be part of a project that they really have bought into. So you know, they're going to help the younger players come through this. And, and the key criteria for us was about bringing those characters in in the summer. So fortunately, we, we got enough money to get the ones that we, we bought in. And I think we did really well, actually, um, given the restrictions and, and the difficulty that, that financial fair play brings in terms of the timing um, to get the ones that we wanted. We've, we've had to be patient, really patient with it. Um, but they've, they've certainly brought into the project and you can just, you can feel the difference since they've walked through the door um, in terms of the stature of the place and the, and the way they conduct themselves. They're setting higher standards uh, from the very start. So the more that it rubs off, the more that our boys are around each other and they're connecting um, the better it is. I've I said in the past, um, you know, football clubs and, and, and the camaraderie is like a, a fabric. And um, if the fabric has, has very few points of connection and you stress it, the fabric breaks. So the more points of connection you get, the better the players get on with each other. And the more that you can um, build that camaraderie, the stronger the fabric becomes and the more that you stress it, the less it's, it's going to break. And I think, you know, you look at people hanging out of trees in Austria and uh, it might be like, you know, what they're doing, you know, it's a jolly up. But when when Doz is up the top of a tree and he's worried about crossing this this bridge and the lad in front of him's going, it's all right, Doz, I've got you, follow me. And the lad behind him's going, I'm right behind you, Dozer, I'm there. And then there's 15 boys on the ground shouting out, come on, Doz, you can do this, you can do this. You can't tell me that they're not key moments in terms of building camaraderie. And then... When the game's on and Doz might be having a hard time, and I'm just using Doz because he, he happened to be in my head, um, and, you know, Dykes is in front of him saying, it's all right, Dozer, you know, if you need me, I'll, I'll run the channel for you. And you've got Cookie behind him telling him, hey, come on, we need you. Uh, you know, I'm right behind you. That camaraderie has been built through experiences where people have come out of their comfort zones together and um, they can relate to, to each other. You know, years down the line, they'll talk about the day that they were hanging out of trees in, in Austria. But it'll, it'll be positive because of the bonds that have been forged through doing that. Tree for any brother, I tell you that much. No, but yes, I hear what you're saying. I'll be holding the jackets. Um, was there any time we're going to go into the hours end? Is there any um players you want to talk about or anything like that? Or ask any questions about while we've got Richard. I think the one I want to want to mention is um, and sorry if this might come across as slightly negative is Taylor Richards. I think in Taylor Richards you can see someone who. You can tell he's got ability for whatever reason. It's just not happened with us. Um, where are we with him at the moment? Is he near to is he near to playing, or is there anything else he needs to do to be getting into first team action? Because he's not even been on the bench in the last few games. Yeah, listen, Taylor will get all the support that he could possibly ask for from from QPR. So we've told him this: we will not let him down as a club, and his best opportunity of success is to knuckle down and, and take this opportunity that he's got with us. Um, I said in the earlier on, people have got to want to help themselves. And Taylor's got a decision to make in terms of um, helping himself in, in this scenario. You know, he's had years of being told what a wonderful player he is because he's always been at the top end of the group. You know, he's always been an outstanding footballer. And all of a sudden, he's hit a roadblock. And for him, it's quite hard to understand why he's gone from being told what a great player he is to now being told you've got to work harder to get into this team. We're, we, you know, we're moving in a direction and, and you've got to come with us. Um, so I understand his confusion and I have sympathy for, I, I've seen this so often with, with young players that have, have been outstanding as teenagers 
and then they get to um, their early 20s and they haven't got the skills needed to overcome um, problems that football brings at first team level. Uh, and Taylor's a prime example of someone that's, that's obviously got a lot very soon in life and now needs to learn resilience um, uh, to come through this period. Uh, I like him as a kid. Um, I think he's a bit of a lost soul and, and we're here to help him and support him. Uh, and once he he um, he really pushes on with what we've asked him to do and he, he's well aware of that, then um, I can see him being successful with us. Uh, he's just got to learn resilience and, and we'll support him in any way that we can to do that. You know, we have regular conversations with him. There's certainly, uh, you know, but I don't want anybody to think there's been any kind of fallout or anything like that. It's not like that at all. Um, we're, we're here to help him and we want every boy to be successful. Uh, and there are people ahead of him at the moment that are just doing a little bit more than him. And that's that's the bottom line. Cool. Thank you. Well, I mean, that's, that's something that, you know, people forget. You deal with individuals. You, you you're not just a coach, are you? You're mental health, there's families. I mean, it's bad enough being a flipping family. What is that? Thirty-two flipping people in the room and everything else. So let's let's hope the lads all right. They get themselves sorted because um, every everyone wants to see everyone succeed at QPR. I don't, I don't know who they are. Um, and yeah, there's, there's there's some things going on outside football that we don't know about. Um, you can't say, but let's hope he gets himself sorted out. And an FA Cup hat trick against Chelsea would certainly put him in everyone's good books. Should that be the key in the, the, the fourth round of the FA Cup, which would be next? And I know it's terrible. I just, you know what it is? It's just when that draws me, I'm going to be honest with you, Richard. I'm just like thinking, oh, oh, we're playing Torquay. I wonder who they'll get the fourth round. Um, you know, so I've just, I've said enough about it. Now I'm, I'm not going to go on. Now we've had a catch up about what's going on with the season. And, um, and thank you for your time, by the way. We do appreciate it. And I know it's not easy talking to a flipping idiot like me. Sam has been quite good, but anyway. Um, yeah. what, what's your what's your hopes to January? Just to get through, to see who we are, and just... I know some people call it pain. You call it opportunism for other players. And then once FFP resets itself, it would be good if we don't go mad. We're crap with money. I suggest we never have it in any form whatsoever. It, 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 we're just shocking. So this could be a new area, but it could also could be the start of something that we need to learn from. Do you know what I mean, Richard? Get, get, yeah. kind of get a unity going. Because not, money doesn't bring success. Hard work does. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I believe in people. Um, you know, I think uh, something I've said in a, in a podcast previously when I was back at Wickham, but um, if you spend 50 million on a right back and 100 million on a lad that you stick on the bench, there's a, probably a good chance you're going to win more games than you lose. Um, you know, that stands to reason. But you've got to ask why when uh, Chelsea and Manchester United and Man City are trying to spend billions on controlling as many of the, the controllables as they can, that Leicester go and win the Premier League. You know, there's so many variables in this game that can't be controlled that um, I think that's what makes the game so special. Um, I believe in the power of human connection. I think there's a currency there that is is untapped and the, the greater connection you have within people and the, the greater the identity and the belief for what they're playing for, um, the more chance you've got. There's numerous examples of, of clubs that are spending fortunes that cannot get things right. And no matter how much they spend, they still can't find that formula. And yet there are great examples of clubs that spend very little or very sensible with what they spend uh, and yet 
they're, they're getting it right time after time after time. It's about people. Um, and for me, this season was about connecting people again, whether that be the boys um, within the team, whether that be the, the team and, and the fans. You know, when, when we galvanise and we get together, it's a pretty strong place. Um, so uh, I'm seeing that growth uh, between now and January. I just want to see more growth. I, I don't look too far ahead. Um, what you do now shapes your future. So focus on now, focus on going into work tomorrow and being the best version of yourself that you can be. Um, we really can't look a lot further than that. And, um, you know, if we can all be a little bit better with each day, um, we can create better connections day after day, then um, we'll be a better football club come January time and, and come the end of the season. Top of the league, playing Millwall and Bolton, they will be good. Simon, would you like one more question? Do you want an honest answer, Paul? Not really, no. I think we've got everything. I think we've had everything covered, to be honest. Sorry, Paul. Sorry, Paul. Did that throw you a bit? Well, to be honest with you, nothing throws me in life, Simon. At the end of the day, you know, growing up the way I did with this face, you get used to bad things. Um, listen, I'm going to do a quick R's end, um, which is basically the way support Southampton and Middlesbrough just outstanding it's not about numbers it's about the passion and I think our fans have been flipping brilliant we've been through a lot we're, as I keep saying we're, we're, we're kind of like we're always having to redefine ourselves find new things to hope for and I think they're, they're helping these players but long may the likes of Sinclair come into this team and regalvanize the fan base because I think that's what's happening and I know you're never going to make anyone happy I win like mad everyone wins but you're quite right Richard, what you say, there's clubs like Berry, and let's face it, we were with buckets at one stage as well to save our football club that we love to death. So, yeah, let's just, and I just hope to God that we just keep going on and we get a good result against Sunderland, which will be flipping hard on Saturday. There's a club in transition as well, and um, no pressure on anyone, but 5 0 would be good for people to put <laughs> on the slips and for them to come in on the weekend. You can say that, I can say that, I probably shouldn't have said that. Save me, Simon. Well, um, and linking in with Sunderland, um, just want to have a shout out. We're um, Ted's taking a friend who we met on holiday in Turkey in June. Um, they oh, live okay. in Acton, so for their first game, yeah, she he's taking her to her first game. Um, so I want to have a shout out to Lola and their family who are coming on, and yeah, hope they enjoyed and hope they get a good result at the end. So, Ted, taking the girls to foot. How old's Ted? Five. Right, okay. Fine. Nothing... I He's a confident I... lad. He's a confident lad, but it's maturity I... beyond his years. Uh, so, after you then. The yeah, Jesse is... from his mother. Yes, yeah, yes. I, took, I, I took Lily to her first match when she was six months old against Aylesbury. I don't even remember that, the friendly, many, many years ago. In fact, it was t- she's 22 next month, so it was 20 odd years ago. God, I'm old. But um, it, they're never too young to get it in the system, are they? Let's face it. So if you bring some more QPR fans into the family, they will thank you unreservedly for years to come. Isn't that right, Richard? We've all had such a great life of glory. But uh, see, that's, that's a good thing, Richard. At least we're not all glory hunters. At least you haven't got that pressure on your back, have you? <laughs> no, no. It, do you know, I, I remember watching QPR and uh, I remember sitting in the P block and um, we were playing Hartlepool um, at home. So this would have been in League One around about the time you were talking about taking buckets. And uh, there was a guy sat behind me who, who he used to 
proclaim what was going to happen like he was the oracle of football at the start of every game and he'd tell the entire stand and I remember him saying uh, uh, one goal will win this today Hartley poor a decent side one goal will win it and it finished 4-1 to QPR yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so yeah ever the optimist uh, Rangers fans but look I just want to say I'm, I'm super proud to be part of it be part of the club and you know we, we have this nice new shiny training ground now and um, if they ever try and get rid of me, there'll be claw marks across the walls and uh, hugging <laughs> me out and I'll be pulling the carpets up. So if they want to keep that shiny training ground intact, they best leave me in place and let me get on with my job. Uh, I'm loving it. Loving being part of the uh, the QPR community and uh, and thanks everyone for their support. Oh, you're welcome. And as I say, you know, we can see the try and I thought we asked for it. I mean, I've always said it. I don't care how much money you spend as long as a player leaves the soul and the spirit on that pitch. You can ask for more. But just before you go, is Jimmy done either or is there still a wee bit to go? There's a little bit to go. I mean, it's a nasty injury uh, and obviously that was really disappointing. He, he's come back. I mean, it's very rare that the centre-half is at the front of the running in pre-season, but I think it tells you a lot about Jimmy that he was in such good shape and it's such a shame that he's, he's had this setback because he was absolutely flying fitness-wise. So, um, but he's an optimistic lad. Um, he's always got a smile on his face and, you know, if someone tells him three months, he's, he's instantly reduced that to two months. Um, you know, I'll be back a month early. He's like that, Jimmy, isn't he? So um, we'll have him back soon enough, but we just got to go steady. Um, you know, it was a nasty injury. It's required an op and uh, we'll make sure we get him back fit and well. In the meantime, the, the boys that are playing centre-half aren't doing bad. So we've got um, adequate replacements for the time being. It'd be nice to have uh, that competition replaces with him and, and obviously Jake now back. Brilliant stuff. And listen, good luck Saturday. And um, let's hope the fans get the players absolutely buzzing because I don't need to tell you. This is the good thing about you being a QPR fan. No one needs to tell you what this club means. No one needs to tell you what Loftus Road could be. You know it. You've lived it. You've breathed it. Let's hope we get it going Saturday. We, we get a good win and then we come the end of, ah, come Christmas, we could all have a decent Christmas and we're not worried about relegation for once. And we're just thinking of dreaming of Europe, Richard. And then you can... <laughs> Stay in that training ground a little bit longer. Listen, thank you so much for your time. I do appreciate it. And good to see you as well, Simon. No doubt I'll be seeing you at some point in a way ground near, well, Birmingham, I think, is that cool, isn't it? Uh, possibly, yeah. I've got a bit of negotiating still on that one. I'll see you at Birmingham. That's <laughs> why my wife doesn't hear this. Right, <laughs> well, um, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see, maybe. If not, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll see you soon. Oh, nice one. And hopefully get to say hello to you one day in the flesh, Richard. And thank you so much for coming on to yeah. the podcast. I really appreciate yeah, no, it. Pleasure. Pleasure to speak to you and uh, look forward to seeing you all at Loftus Road at the weekend. Yeah. You will indeed, big man. You take thank care you. of yourself and best of luck. Take Cheers, care.